Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christoginia Internet Radio. This program is being pre-recorded on Thursday afternoon for Friday, January 26th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. This is going to be a critical review of Bertrand Compare's sermons, Christianity Discriminates, and We Face the Future. The subtitle to this presentation should probably be, What Should Christians Be Doing Now? We received a brief email the other day from someone who had recently joined the Christogenia Forum, and we will read it with a few small corrections. This is supposed to be a Christian forum website, but every thread I have come across, and this is somewhat of an exaggeration, has nothing but the words bastards, niggers, and spicks all over the conversations. Was God or Jesus a racist? In this case, what would Jesus do? I am reporting this website. And I think that's pretty funny. I don't know who he, he or she is reporting it to. Now, we don't know why this person decided to join our forum before realizing that we were not the usual run-of-the-mill, worldly sort of lukewarm Christian that one may see in the denominational church organizations. However, this post is exemplary of the lack of discrimination in our society. We perceive that lack as a negative quality. This message also reflects the attitude of someone who confuses the internet with those quasi-public websites like Facebook or Twitter where you can simply report everything you don't like and make it go away. But in fact, Yahweh our God is a racist. He does discriminate and he is not going to go away. That reminds us of something else that happened this week. This week my Twitter account was suspended, I guess. And I can't access it because I violated Twitter rules. I was confronted, and I don't remember exactly how I saw it, but I was confronted with this serious post from what appeared to be some sort of online magazine or, or online news feed site that was using Twitter for public relations of some sort. And, and it, um, it, it had asked, or it made the suggestion, let me put it that way, it made the suggestion that women should have 20 to 30 lovers, sex partners, before they decide to settle down and get married. And that kind of perturbed me to see that thing being promoted. So I answered back. I made a reply and I said, so women should be pigs and whores and never have a real marriage because that's what would happen to a woman with so many sex partners. And I made the remark that you should all get AIDS and die soon. 
And that could be interpreted two ways. I worded it that way on purpose. You should all get AIDS and die soon may refer to the result of their behavior. Or it may be a hope that that would happen to them because they deserve it. And, and it could be interpreted either way. However, I received this notice that for violating our rules against abusive behavior, where it says that you may not engage in the targeted harassment of someone or incite other people to do so, we consider abusive behavior an attempt to harass, intimidate, or silence someone else's voice. And therefore they silenced my voice, even though I was only making a rhetorical suggestion. I wasn't harassing or attempting to silence them at all. This is how the world works. When you stand against wickedness, people report you to the authorities and try to make you go away in order to reactivate my account. Twitter wants me to delete that message, that they volunteer you into submission. I'm not going to submit, and, and to hell with Twitter. This evening, or at least tomorrow evening, as we travel to Tallahassee to participate in some activities with the League of the South later this weekend, we are presenting these two short sermons from Bertrand Compare. Christianity discriminates and we face the future. The versions we have here were typeset and edited by Clifton Emmeheiser, perhaps 12 or 14 years ago. Some of Compare's remarks may seem dated, as the satanic plans of world Jewry have far advanced against Christendom since he presented these sermons in the 1960s and 70s. However, the biblical perspectives are timeless. We shall endeavor to augment them wherever we can. Before we begin, we should examine how far society has been changed in a short time. We have on our shelves, and we only have one example of, of, of this, we have on our shelves a few old dictionaries. Some of them are our own, and others belong to Clifton Amheiser, who recently moved here along with his library. Some of his dictionaries are, of course, much older than ours. But for this we won't go back too far. We have a Webster's New World Dictionary, second college edition, which was first published in 1970, around the time Compare was giving these sermons. But this particular edition was printed in 1980. Under the entry for discrimination, on page 403, the definition reads, 1. The act of discriminating or distinguishing differences and two, the ability to make or perceive distinctions, perception, discernment, and then three, a showing of partiality or prejudice in treatment, specifically action or policies directed against the welfare of minority groups. So even here we see that discrimination is primarily a beneficial or at least a positive quality in those first two definitions. 
However, in today's politicized society, the order of the definitions of this word is usually reversed. The Oxford Dictionary website defines the same word as the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people, especially on the grounds of race, sex, or age. And only then it adds recognition and understanding of the difference between one thing and another. That's the real meaning of discrimination. And then further, the ability to judge what is of high quality, good judgment or taste. And that's another real definition of the word discrimination. That first definition is only a political definition. Most of the other more modern dictionaries we have checked into do this same thing. Furthermore, while in the political sense, or the third definition in our old dictionary, we see that while discrimination was defined as a prejudice against alien groups, the definition did not pass judgment on that action. But the modern dictionaries do pass judgment on the action, defining discrimination as the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people. And then they make that the principal definition of the word when it is really not a part of the definition at all. Rather, a social example of the use of the word has become its primary definition in our politically correct dictionaries. But there is no word offering in the modern dictionaries which describes any proper or righteous prejudicial treatment of different categories of people. That idea has been stripped out of the public vernacular. Therefore, it is evident that the dictionary publishers are complicit in the Bolshevizing of all social life on the planet, at least in the English language, because any discernment of the quality of different people is considered unjust. This is the righteousness of the world which we live in today. This is what is right in the eyes of most modern people. But it is not the righteousness of Yahweh our God. Here to discuss that, we will commence with Bertrand Compare and his sermon, Christianity Discriminates. And he begins by saying, Part of the campaign of brainwashing to which the American public is being subjected is a huge and well-financed effort to make us believe that all discrimination is bad. Those of us whose memory reaches back 40 years or more, perhaps here to the 1920s or 1930s, will recall that the ability to discriminate between things of different value or utility was then recognized as a most essential part of intelligence. Those who are too dull to see differences where they exist were considered stupid. How does it happen that the subsidized press 
radio, and television commentators now so bitterly denounce all who can discriminate. In other words, all who have the intelligence to discriminate. They even try to make us believe that discrimination is not Christian. Since all of the devil's doctrines are now preached under the false pretense of Christianity, let us examine the only source from which we can determine God's position on the subject of discrimination. And today we can see that discrimination is not only considered bad, but it is even criminalized. And people can lose their businesses for discriminating even against those who offend them. Christians are being forced to accommodate those who offend their religious beliefs so that Christians, and especially white Christians, are the only group which may now freely be discriminated against. And, as Compare implied, the Christians who are now being discriminated against are frequently not even true Christians, since many of the doctrines which they have come to embrace are indeed false doctrines that have been already tailored to ungodly concepts, such as racial egalitarianism, by religious organizations which have already conceded to the demands of the satanic Jews. And the Jews are indeed satanic, being the eternal adversaries of Christ. Now Compare continues by comparing this trend to Scripture. From beginning to end, the Bible is a book of discrimination. Discrimination by God himself, and discrimination which God commanded us to make. We find the first record of God's discrimination in Genesis chapter 4, in verses 3 through 5, where we read, And in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. What is this? And that's how Comparate ends the paragraph with a question. What is this? Today's progressives would indeed condemn Yahweh our God for not accepting both Abel and Cain. We recently saw a three and a half minute documentary video featuring a youth sports league in Washington State which sponsored an activity for children called Ballless Soccer. I think it's planned by a group of ballless men. We will post this video with this presentation. The head of the sports league said, We have been looking at how competition impacts youth. And this was a woman that said this. And it is usually kind of negative. Especially if you are on the losing team. So last year, we took away the notion of scoring which meant that there were no winners and there were no losers. 
But in many ways, we felt like it just didn't go far enough. So we've actually taken away the ball. Now, this is all pretty funny, but these people are dead serious about this trash. One of the coaches of this so-called sport describes himself as the imagination captain. Everyone scores, everyone wins, and everyone is happy because there are no losers. Children are being deceived into thinking that they can imagine their dreams into reality, and they never really have to work for any sort of success. Because anyone can be successful if they just use their imagination. Now, this sort of sounds like the application of the concepts found in a Arthur Lee sermon or a Brother Ryan video, but that's a separate matter entirely. This is the point at which we have now arrived, as we live in a world of imagination, where everyone not only has to be accepted regardless of their skin color or sex, but even for what they imagine for themselves to be. They insist that we accept them. So we now have men being chastised in social media because they refuse to date other men who think that they should really be women. Soon it will be a criminal act to refuse to have sex with anyone who makes an advance. Sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of Lot. There is going to be no end to perversion as this intellectual Bolshevism con comes to dominate society. After Compare shows that God discriminates, using the example of the rejection of the sacrifice of Cain, he says, but that is only the beginning, and it certainly is only the beginning. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it describes Adam's family, yet it mentions by name only one of his children, Seth, and barely notices the existence of the others discrimination? Yes, indeed. Right on down through verse 31, going through the chain of Adam's descendants, this chapter notes the existence of each succeeding generation, yet approves only one in each generation by giving his name. And what Compare may have also mentioned here was that to that point, with many generations of man, only one woman was mentioned. And that was because she was an integral part of the story. After Eve, the wives of Lamech, the grandson of Cain, are mentioned. But no other woman is mentioned by name until the end of Genesis chapter 11. And Sarah is the first female descendant of Seth who merits being named. So we see that Yahweh God discriminates within the family line of a particular race. And he, notice I said he, he even discriminates between the sexes within that family line. Now Compare continues and says, This brings us to Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, 
we find that God discriminated in favor of Noah and his family against all the other people living in that land. God saw a difference between them? Of course he saw a difference. But today we are told that we must pretend that there is no difference between the races when we clearly know that this pretense is false. And we are certain that many books could be written proving the differences in ability and intelligence between the races simply by comparing their cultures and their achievements. But now, by artificially injecting members of other races into our society and hiring them into positions, we must imagine that they can be our equals. If they were our equals, then their own countries would be advanced as our own, and they would not need to come here. We are told that geography is the reason for the difference. But historically, the non-white races have, have had every geographical advantage in mineral wealth, in the quantity of arable soil, and the temperate climate over Europeans. Compare continues, however, by speaking of the members of one race only, the Adamic race. And he says, follow me on down through Genesis. And we find that God discriminated in favor of one and against the others in every generation down to Abraham. Among Abraham's children, God discriminated in favor of Isaac and against Ishmael. Among Isaac's children, God again favored Jacob over Esau, making Jacob the father of God's people and changing his name to Israel, while Esau and his descendants were cursed with God's indignation forever. Likewise, God favored Joseph over all his eleven brothers. And again, God discriminated in favor of the Israelites and against the Egyptians. God, of course, in every instance refers to Yahweh. How awful, say our modern liberals. Why, that is racism. Yes, frankly it is, and it is God's own choice at that. God has certainly lost the minority group vote, but, Compare says, I am grateful to him for setting an example which we can follow. Some people have been misled by their churches into the belief that the Old Testament is only a record of God's mistakes and failures, that God had to abandon all of this and make a new start in the New Testament, which changed everything. No greater falsehood was ever taught. God was right the first time and all the time. The Old Testament and the New Testament are perfectly consistent. Otherwise, Jude would have never mentioned strange flesh. And Paul of Tarsus and Jesus Christ himself would have never condemned fornication, the pursuit of strange flesh. The Old Testament and the New Testament are perfectly consistent. There is as much Christianity in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament. The New Testament 
is as much an Israel book, a book about the children of Israel, as was the Old Testament. No doubt, many of you have heard many preachers say that discrimination is not Christian. Let's look into this. Who is the supreme authority on what is Christian? It cannot be anyone except Jesus Christ himself. No man can tell me that Jesus Christ was unchristian. Fortunately, Jesus Christ, or Yahshua Christ as we would prefer to call him, Compare used the terms God and Jesus, which is evident throughout his recordings, rather than using the terms that myself and many identity Christians prefer, which is Yahweh, the Great I Am, the Eternal One, the God of the Old and New Testaments, and Yahshua, Yahweh Christ, Yahweh come in the flesh as Yahshua Christ, Yahweh saves his people. Fortunately, Jesus Christ never used any of the weasel-worded evasions which are considered polite today. He always fearlessly spoke the exact truth in words too plain to be mistaken. All the Gospels record that among the Jews. Jesus Christ spoke his teachings in parables which they could not understand. Later he explained to these he explained these parables to his disciples in private. At least three of the Gospels record that Jesus explained to his disciples why he took such pains to keep the Jews from understanding him. In Mark chapter 4 we read, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, meaning them who are outside, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Compare exclaims in response to that. Now that is real discrimination. How could you make it any stronger? But that is not all. Both Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7 record that when a Canaanite woman asked Jesus Christ to drive the demon out of her daughter, he replied that it was not proper to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Not until she acknowledged that the children of God, the true Israelites, must receive first his gifts. And here is where I believe Compare goes wrong. And through them, the kingdom of God would be brought to the other races. Not until then did he consent to heal her daughter. Now, even though he clearly explains how Yahweh God discriminates, here Compare reveals his own confusion on the issue of race. The only other people who will see the kingdom of God are the other nations of the Adamic race, not the so-called other races. There is nowhere in Scripture that it ever says that the kingdom of God would be brought to the other races. And that is not what the woman 
the Canaanite woman had acknowledged. In other places, in other sermons, Compare himself admits that the only race, the white race, only the Adamic race is born from above. Compare explained this in a sermon titled The Sons of God where he himself cited John chapter 3 where Christ said Verily, verily, I say to thee if anyone who is not born from above he is not able to see the kingdom of God. If anyone is not born from above he is not able to see the kingdom of God. He won't see it from the inside. He won't see it from the outside. He won't see it from around the corner. Then Compare also admitted in that paper that Christ was alluding to being, and now I'm quoting Compare, that Christ was alluding to being born from above or being born of the heavenly race. So if only one race, as Comparé himself says, if only one race is born from above, and we can certainly prove through scripture and history that the Adamic race is exclusively the white race, then only one race can see the kingdom of heaven. Comparé was confused and in conflict with himself, not quite making or admitting this realization. The Canaanite woman only acknowledged that she was a dog and that she was not one of the children of God. She only hoped for a crumb, a small favor, and she was granted that by her acknowledgement. But then Christ told her to go thy way, and she never became anything more than a dog with a crumb. Acknowledging that she was not one of the sheep, in the end, Christ had taught that all goats go to the lake of fire. Compare continues. Discrimination? Yes, indeed. Racism? Certainly. But who dares to call Jesus Christ unchristian? Yes, I think that some of the liberal and modernist preachers will actually say this, will actually say that Christ is unchristian if they realized what was going on in his interchange with the Canaanite woman. And Compare says, but this only shows clearly how much Satanism is falsely masquerading as Christianity today. Referring to those liberal and modernist preachers who can't discriminate. Compare says, But this discrimination becomes even stronger. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus Christ warns all of his followers, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Certainly, everyone knows that Jesus Christ was not so foolish as to think that his disciples were going into the barnyard to start preaching to the four-legged animals there. When he spoke of dogs and swine, 
He was speaking of the two-legged varieties. Discrimination between races? Certainly. But we haven't had sense enough to believe him and obey him. We have given that which is holy, our Christian religion, unto the dogs in Africa and Asia. And here Compare correctly identified other races as dogs. And that is how Christians should treat them. But the word dog is an allegory. Because we have no other term for them, we must use pejoratives. Although we can certainly make other allegories. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, we must consider them to be goats, as they are certainly not sheep. The sheep are defined in Scripture as the lost people of the house of Israel. Returning to Compare, today those missionaries who did not escape in time have been eaten in Africa or are slowly dying in red Chinese prisons. The precious pearls which God gave to us, the inventive skill he placed in our minds, the high civilization which enables us to produce great abundance of every useful produce, these we have cast before the swine of the earth. They now trample under their feet the peaceful prosperity we tried to give them and use our science, our machines, even the surplus food we ship them as weapons with which to destroy us. Christ gave us the parable of the sower who would sow on fertile ground and reap hundredfolds for his sowing. In the course of history, there was only one generation of missionaries of Christ to Europe, Paul of Tarsus and his companions and fellow workers among the other apostles. One generation. From this one generation, even under the severe persecution by Romans and Jews, Christianity prevailed and in a few short centuries all of Europe was fated to become Christian. But now Africa and Asia have received white European missionaries for well over 500 years. In fact, for China it's probably about 800 years. But they still receive wave after wave of missionaries. And in those places, Christianity still cannot stand on its own. Christianity cannot be maintained or perpetuated by the local populations of Africans or Asians. Great society does not blossom there. That is because it is stony ground and it never belonged among those people in the first place. Other places can be added to the list. Mexico, Latin America. They only maintain a civil and nominally Christian society under constant supervision from outside. As soon as white influence is removed from those areas, the people revert back to their old unchristian ways.
With this compare continues. Yes, I know how the minority groups and the mongrelizers, those who would force us to mix with the other races, are raging against what I am saying. But it is time that God's truth be told before it is too late. Jesus Christ warned us to discriminate between races, just as he discriminated. In his last talk with his disciples in John chapters 14 through 17, Jesus Christ said that he would send to them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the nations of the world, the nations of the world order, cannot receive, because they do not see him nor know him. Jesus said that he prayed only for those who were his, and not for the world system. Jesus Christ knew the folly and falsehood of pretending that all people, all races, are alike or equal. He knew that every sacrifice of truth on the polluted altar of expediency and politics brings its terrible penalty in national and racial degradation, which only their destruction has ever succeeded in cleansing. There are challenges to this, which usually exclaim that other races can be Christian. But the Christianity they pretend to is not the Christianity of Christ. A comparison between the Bible, where Christ insists that his followers keep his commandments, and the teachings of the religious organizations of men, prove that the Bible is very different than what these other races presume to be Christian. The Christianity taught since the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church under Justinian, probably back further than that, is a Christianity which is amenable to world empire, not to Christ. And in that sense, Compare continues, all history is a vast junkyard of the wreckage of empires which ignored this lesson, and in consequence thereof, they perished. Several times in our past history, we were on this path to destruction, and we were only saved by the direct intervention of God. Today we have allowed corrupt leaders to take us so far into this shadow of death, that again, only the promised intervention of God can now save us. We have his promise to save us, if we will get down on our knees and beg for forgiveness, and then he will heal our land. If we will do our part, God will keep his promises to Israel. While yet we can, let us turn back to the word of our God. Discriminate between that which is good for us, and that which is deadly, and that which is our own, and that which is alien to ourselves and to our God. The promises of God are exclusively for the scattered children of Israel. And the scattered children of Israel are, for the most part, the white race of today. The historic connections are absolutely certain that most modern white Europeans descended from the Israelites of the Old Testament. Once they are studied, it is certain that these facts are irrefutable. 
Therefore, the only solution to our current racial woes is repentance and a return to Yahshua Christ our God and a rejection of all of his enemies, which includes all of the Jews and all of the other races, all of the dogs and the goats. So we commence with another short sermon by Bertrand Compare. We face the future. Compare opens his sermon with a warning that is much more ominous today. This is unquestionably a time of deep and growing danger. All over the world. Facing this, many people either close their minds and refuse to believe the facts or else they become panicky with terror. Both reactions are wrong. Truth must always be faced, and this is most imperative when truth is unpleasant. For it is only unpleasant when there is something you should be doing about it, and you're not. Christians should have no fear of the future, but should act boldly for the right, and more so in proportion to the danger. This past Tuesday morning, January 23rd, I pre-recorded a podcast which I hope to play this Saturday evening, January 27th. Saturday we will be attending a rally in Tallahassee, Florida with the League of the South. So I had an 80-minute discussion with League President Michael Hill, and I hope to broadcast it that same evening. During our talk, we discussed this very subject, that we should have no fear of the future while acting boldly for what is right. Christians must make their professions boldly and publicly, calling their white brethren to repentance and to a rejection of the perversities being forced upon them by this crooked society. Being a good Christian at home is not sufficient. It's good, but it's not sufficient. If Paul of Tarsus was only a good Christian at home, or even if he only posted his admonitions to a small circle of Facebook friends, the world would never have heard of Jesus Christ, and the children of Israel would have had no knowledge of their redemption and salvation the Jews would have destroyed the message 2,000 years ago before it could spread. If the ancient prophets had only been good Christians at home, we would not have had their writings. The writings of the prophets were not made in a closet. They are records of the public pronouncements which those prophets had been making to the people of their own time. We must follow their examples and display the profession of our faith openly, even if we may not be as eloquent. Returning to Compare here, he tells us why we should not fear. We have the Bible's clear assurance that our victory is predestined. For example, and you may not recognize these passages, at least these first few, 
because for these Old Testament passages, Compare had actually quoted the translation of James Moffat. And then for the New Testament, he returns to the King James Version and for the rest of the sermon, right? For example, in the 139th Psalm, in verse 16, All the days of my life were foreseen by thee, set down within thy book, ere ever they took shape, before they ever took shape. They were assigned, ere ever one of them was mine. They were assigned before one of them was ever mine. Again, citing Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8, Fear nothing, dread not in the days to come. Have I not foretold it and announced it long ago? Also in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, still from the Mophat translation, Trust your affairs to the eternal, and your plans will prosper. The eternal has made everything for an end of its own. Yes, even the wicked for their day of doom. And Paul's comforting assurance in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, the children of Israel, he also did predestinate, the children of Israel, to be conformed to the image of his son, the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, the children of Israel, them he also called, the children of Israel. And whom he called, he also justified, the children of Israel are already justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And we are guaranteed that glorification. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Compre responds, What then? Pray earnestly to God for instruction. Don't look for it in the left-wing slanted newspapers, but in the pre-written news of the Bible. Psalm 25 verse 14 tells us that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. In Psalm 32 he promises, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And in Second Esdras chapter 16 he reminds us, Be ye not afraid, neither doubt, for God is your guide. And we must say that the faithful Christian must understand that he is guaranteed victory in Christ, whether by life or by death, and you're not going to escape either. So Paul of Tarsus exclaims in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, So when this corruptible, this corruptible body, shall it put on incorruption, and this mortal shall it put on immortality, speaking to those who are predestined to be glorified, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore Christians should never fear, and they must follow Paul's example. And the example of Christ himself, as Paul had exhorted Timothy and said, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold unto eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickens all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Paul further exhorted the Hebrews likewise, in chapters 4 and 10 of his epistle to them, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, if you don't profess it, then you're useless. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Compare then describes the very time in which we live in relation to the instructions which Christians were given by Christ. He says the first instruction will be in the warning signs to watch for. Jesus Christ himself told us that as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then he asks, how was it in the days of Noah? Noah received two different warnings. First, a long-range warning of coming destruction, with the command to start building the ark. Then a final, this is it warning, telling him the flood would come in seven days. We also have received our long-range warning in the 24th chapter of Matthew, where Christ told us the seven signs which would indicate that his coming is near. We have already seen the first six of these. False Christs and false prophets, great wars unlike ever before, great famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, persecution of Christians all through the communist half of the world, widespread lawlessness, and the fact that this gospel of the kingdom is being preached. There remains only one sign to come, the abomination which produces desolation standing in the holy place and that could come in the short time it takes for Jewish troops to fight their way just a few hundred yards in a surprise attack in Jerusalem. We have a different idea concerning the abomination of desolation, that it already exists in the Jewish government of Palestine. But when that will be ultimately fulfilled cannot quite be told. 
it is not necessarily connected to the construction of a temple, even if that has been the long-range goal of both Freemasons and their Jewish masters. However, now we are starting to see the persecution of Christians throughout our own half of the world. Whites are being disenfranchised in all of their own nations, so that persecution is bound to get much worse. Nevertheless, there are signs which Compare didn't mention here, and I don't quite understand why. He didn't message, he didn't mention the fact that Christ said that they will be marrying and giving in marriage, and they will be eating and drinking. Now, what's significant about those statements? Perhaps Compare didn't think anything was significant, but he should have. Because if we look back into Genesis chapter 6, and we really examine it in the context of all of the book of Genesis and other ancient scriptures, such as the book of Enoch, which the apostles had quoted, both Jude and Peter, and I'm sure Paul also, we will see that marrying and giving in marriage really meant race mixing, the race mixing that was going on in the days of Noah between the fallen angels and the daughters of men. The race mixing for which Yahweh God brought a flood upon the ancient world. Eating and drinking. They will be eating and drinking. And those fallen angels, as it is explained in Jude, and in the second epistle of Peter, those intruders into the body of Christ were spots in their feasts of charity and evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. And these are the other races amongst us today. That's why we will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. We will be feasting with beasts and race-mixing just like it was in the days of Noah. Continuing with Compare, But if we are alert to see it, we will receive our immediate warning. Daniel chapter 12 verse 10 says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And here we are, admonishing our fellow whites to wisdom and to depart from wickedness. But the other races, and especially the Jews, will never understand and will only have hatred for us. Back to Compare. What to do? Don't try to dodge it by hiding under the bed. With God's protection, what have you to be afraid of? Isaiah chapter 43 tells us, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he did form thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, waters and rivers and seas, often being metaphors for masses of alien people. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, 
Thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And Psalm chapter 37, verses 39 and 40, or I should say the 37th Psalm. But the salvation of the righteous, of the righteous, is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help and deliver them, because they trust in Him. And Compare now comments. The victory was that of His almighty power incomparably greater than that of our enemies. But on our part, we have had to show our confidence by coming boldly to do our part. It was always so. We were told, citing 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, we were told, Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And he, here we will complete Compare's partial citation. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now Compare affirms, Yes, God fights for us, but we must take our places in the ranks of his armies. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Exodus chapter 14. So that they would know that it was God who gave the victory. God made Gideon send back all of his army, but 300 men. However, Gideon and the 300 had to move boldly into battle. This is still an eternal truth. Jesus Christ said, For whomsoever would save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited, if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Citing Matthew 16. The 118th Psalm tells us, The Lord is on my side, I will fear not. What can man do to me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. If we capitulate to the world, we can only lose, because the world will hate us regardless, and the world is destined to lose. In the book of Revelation, the whore joined herself to the beast, but the beast still hated the whore and ate her flesh. We, our white race, we are that whore, our people collectively, the children of Israel who are the bride of Yahweh. We are the whore because we have joined ourselves to the beast. And now the beast eats our flesh. We can see that going on all around us.
as we see in James chapter 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Continuing with Compare. One of our pilgrim ancestors was walking to church on Sunday morning, Bible in one hand, rifle in the other, when a friend said to him, John, don't you believe that until your time comes, nothing can kill you, but when your time does come, nothing can save you? John said, yes. So the friend said, then John, why are you carrying that gun? John said, I might meet a Jew whose time has come, or a nigger, or a spig or a Chinaman, or any other ravaging wild animal. Comparite urges, and I'm elaborating a little, therefore be like John. The victory is absolutely certain, for God has promised it to us. True, it will be his victory, the work of his limitless power. But what will you be doing while he is bringing victory? When it is all over, he will find us a people of whom he need not be ashamed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 tells us, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. In the 21st chapter of Revelation, God tells how he will set up his eternal holy city upon the earth. And he that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But he goes on to list those who will not be able to enter into that city of God. And the first on the list of those who are kept out, we find the fearful and unbelieving. And we do not interpret that quite the way Compare does. But it is still a good allegory and we will not argue with him. Now he concludes. You know what future you face today. The enemies of all civilization are the enemies of Christ. They, the international Jew, the satanic Jew. And no matter where these Jews are, they're in favor of this agenda. They are mobilizing all the forces of evil against us in Asia, in Africa, in captive Eastern Europe, even those among us on our own continent. They boast of the weapons they have prepared, the number of slave troops they will unleash against us. The war for our destruction they have planned. But we have God's promise that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. The war they plan will be their own suicide. It will come. Don't pray to avoid it, for God has already prophesied that it will come. And that right soon. Pray rather for God's early intervention for our victory. Be like that John I told you about. Prepare yourself for battle wherever it may come. Then walk without fear, for it is your enemy whose time has come.
That is the end of Compare's sermon, We Face the Future. While the times have changed, and while the so-called Cold War is over, Satan, the international Jew, has nevertheless gathered all of these heathen bastards against the camp of the saints. And now we are overrun by them. I sincerely believe that if the largest nations of Christendom, Germany, England, and America, had resisted the advances of cultural Marxism in the period after the Second World War, then the Cold War would indeed have turned into a shooting war, and the international Jew would have done everything possible to make certain that the forces of communism won. However, America, England, and Germany have fully capitulated to cultural Marxism, and now the battle is being fought over a much more extended length of time. And the casualties are reckoned in a completely different manner. Rather than our sons dying on battlefields, they die in sodomite bathhouses. Rather than our daughters being raped and murdered, they are married off to niggers and they are just as dead. Rather than seeing the invading hordes of aliens come at us with rifles, they come at us with suitcases and demands for religious rights and welfare checks. Either way, we are defeated, and we will remain defeated until we go out and stand for Christ. We hope to attend... many more rallies and demonstrations doing this same thing with our fellow Christians of the League of the South and other similar groups in the future. While we cannot yet shoot back at our enemies, this is what we can do, and so we must. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.